Hello. This is WVEW LP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. And you are listening to Indigo Radio on the air every Sunday at noon. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on, and on Instagram. And the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and not the uh, the host and the guest and not the radio station. So today, um, last week actually, we talked about border imperialism. We did a report back from the SOA Watch Border in Quentro, where we were talking with SOA Watch organizers to learn more about the conditions on the border and the increased militarization and the work that is happening to resist that. And today we're going to be talking about gender. As human beings, we are all assigned a gender, most of the time before we are even born, which is somewhat confusing because the doctors say the sex of your baby is going to be, and somehow that's become associated with gender. We'll talk about that more on the show. And so we have um, Carly Fox here in the studio with us. Thanks so much for joining us. And um, this is Becca Polk, your co-host, along with Lauren Perlstein on the board. Hello. And we also have Afsane, who is calling in from Oaxaca. Afsane, are you on the air right now? We're going to work on that, getting her connected to the show. So let's go to our first song break. The first song that we're going to play is by Shea Diamond, and it's called I Am Her.
Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio. That was Shay Diamond. She is a trans woman singer, and she uses I am her phrase to represent more than just the song. On her website, it says I am her means that no matter how the world treats me, no matter if I am rejected, accepted, denied, or misunderstood, I will continue to live out my truth as Shay Diamond. It was in losing the world that I found myself and the will to keep living as a woman. I am proud to be. So, Afsane, I'm just wondering if you can hear us on the radio. Yes. Wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So today, our show, we're going to be talking about gender. As humans, we are assigned a gender, and that gender usually has real social implications as we grow up with the increasing pressure to fit into these boxes created for men, women, girls, boys... And for what? What is the purpose of the construction of gender? How is gender enforced? How do we learn and teach about gender in order to build a better world? These are some of the questions we will be discussing today with our wonderful guests. We will be speaking with Afsane Moridian, all the way from Oaxaca, Mexico. Afsane is the author of Jamie is Jamie, a book about being yourself and playing your way, published by Free Spirit Publishing. Afsane is an educator and doctoral candidate in education who has taught students of all ages from preschool to graduate school. We also have with us in the studio educator and activist Carly Fox. She teaches high school at Vermont Academy Academy, and is also on the board of Green Mountain Crossroads. Carly has recently earned the title of Vermont Teacher of the Year. Thanks so much, both of you, for being here on the show today. Thank you. So we wanted to start out with a conversation amongst all of us here in the studio, just on what the idea of gender as a social construct means and what are some of the consequences. And uh, Carly, I don't know if you want to start us out. Oh, we're having a little mic um, problems. We're going to switch things around. We walked into the studio today and there are some new mics for us to use, which is really <laughs> awesome, <laughs> but we got to figure them out right now. <laughs> Let's see if this one works. All right. Nope. Yep. This is my mic now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so to say that the gender is socially constructed is a really different view than how I think gender is, is traditionally thought of it, which is much more biological and essentialist. So Often when I ask students in my class what gender is, they're pretty overwhelmingly, their first response is, that just means if you have a penis or vagina. So this very biological understanding of gender is something that is innate and unchanging, um, perhaps something that we have a gene for, right? And so to be a man is always to be a man, to be a woman is always to be a woman. Understanding gender as something that is constructed is a really different view. So to say that gender is socially constructed means that as a society, we create ideas, symbols, meanings, norms about gender. So what we think a man should be, what we think a woman should be. So the construction of gender is that larger meaning that we place on bodies. And then we tend to essentialize those meanings and say, well, of course, this is what it means to be a boy. This is how all boys act, or this is how all girls act. And I think understanding gender as a social construct is much more powerful for us because it allows us to understand that gender is is many things and is something that changes, changes across time and across space, right? So to be a woman um, today means means something different than it would have in the 1950s in the United States. To be um, a white woman in America means something different than to be... Um, a woman in Mexico right now. So it's just a, a deeper understanding of gender that it, it, it is a, a complicated system of norms and meanings that society assigns. Afsane, I don't know if you want to weigh in and say some of your thoughts around this idea of gender as a social construct. Yeah, I, I really agree with what Carly was saying, and I, I would just add you know, just a couple quick things to it that if you look back in history, if you look at different cultures around the world, there just has been a very varying understanding of gender and how men and women relate to one another, what the roles are in society. And so I think the fluidity that we're seeing today 
is just actually a pretty constant fluidity that's existed throughout human existence. And I think that a lot of the effort and energy put into teaching girls that their role is to care for babies and clean and all of that really plays an economic role as well, right? Because the family is responsible for taking care of itself and raising kids, and that's still seen largely as women's work, Mm -hmm. even though lots of men are involved in that. And the responsibility for that is still put on individual families, even if it means paying, you know, $2,000 a month for childcare and try, you know, just living with like lots of laundry and a mess and all of that. So I think that we have to look at kind of how does society benefit from these gender roles and why there's such a vested interest in maintaining them. Yeah, thank you so much. I was thinking about it this morning, how there's this idea that men are more progressive these days because they um, help out around the house. And then you hear men saying that they're babysitting their kids for the day. So it's questions how far we right. have actually come. Yeah. Right. So, Afsane, I think um, we'd like to move into some questions for you. Um, and I was wondering if you could just start off telling us a little bit about yourself and um, what you see as some of the challenges that children are facing in regards to gender and growing up. You just mentioned about the playing with dolls and if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I'd be happy to. I personally, I grew up as an activist um, in an activist family. I got into education first in a Montessori preschool and then went and got a master's in education and went into um, junior high and then moved from there to college and, you know, teaching university and graduate school level from there. So I, I had the um, opportunity to work with all these different ages, but I, I don't think I was as aware of this stuff until I had my own child. And that's actually where my book comes from because when my daughter, my daughter now is six, and she does not fit into a traditional, set, you know, idea of who a girl is or what a girl should like, and she never has. And so when she was two, she said that she wanted to be a boy because boys solve problems, mm. which is really, you know, if you think about it, I think there's a lot of women in the studio, and hopefully a lot of women listening, and. We, we solve a lot of problems, especially when you're a parent or a teacher or, you know, in a workplace. Like, there's constantly fires that we're putting out, constantly things that we have to fix. And for her to have that idea, to me, was, was not reflective of what she was seeing, but was reflective of what she was watching, even in the best children's programming on PBS, what she was seeing in the picture books that we were reading her even though many are so progressive. And there's still this idea that, you know, at the end of the day, it's the boy that's going to answer the question or the boy that's going to do the thing that makes everything be okay or whatever. And so I started then, I put out a call, like, please, everyone, you know, send us books with strong female characters and let's show her, you know, that it's that women solve problems. And people, people did, and I got some for her also. And in book after book, she just didn't see herself because, sure, there are lots of, you know, stronger female characters now, but they're wearing skirts or dresses or they're princesses or, you know, or the the story is a lot more simple than a story that's, you know, has a boy character. There's a lot of things to analyze in children's literature. And I am grossly generalizing right now. I know there are exceptions to this and there are fantastic books on the market, but it really struck me that she didn't see herself in any of them. And she finally, the first time I heard her say, that's me, is in this book, A Child's Guide to Anarchy, where mm-hmm. there's a naked blue-haired kid running away from the bathroom. And she said, that's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, okay, there needs to be a book that represents, like, all kids. Because it's just, it's too hard to say to children, you must be this way this is how you should look and this is how you should act. It just, kids aren't like that. And so um, that's kind of where um, Jamie is Jamie came from is this idea that there's a kid who just gets to play with everything and everyone and be who they are. 
and I don't know if I'm if I'm answering your question or jumping the gun or <laughs> is, no, is it okay great. if I talk more about the book? Absolutely. Okay, so, okay, so that's um, that's the story. Is that this kid Jamie starts a new school and um, plays with everything and everyone, and the other kids are kind of surprised because they want to know is Jamie a boy or a girl? Because it seems like Jamie's playing with girl toys and Jamie's playing with boy toys. And the kids don't really know how to understand who Jamie is, but Jamie's Jamie. And so Jamie just plays and has fun. And um, that question is never answered. Is Jamie a boy or a girl is never answered because it's just not important. It just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. What matters is that kids play and play with each other, figure things out amongst themselves as much as possible and have the freedom to play with whatever they choose and learn what they can from those different things. And so that's, um, that's the point of, of the book. Yeah. And so it definitely, yeah, I, just, I don't think that my kid is alone. I think there's a lot of girls who feel pigeonholed from not being given trucks and trains and action figures. And I think there's a lot of boys who um, also feel really denied by not being able to be nurturing of dolls and twirl around in twirly skirts and have fun with makeup and things like that. So, You know, it was, it was so awesome, actually. Um, I was telling a parent of one of my students um, that we were going to have you on the show and talk about this book. And um, I think that her daughter is also going through some um, just questioning and trying to figure figure things out and um and before I mentioned that you were going to be you specifically in your book specifically was going to be on the show she was like wait let me show you the uh this book I just found um online and it was it was Jamie is Jamie so I think uh yeah it was really cool Mm -hmm. yeah um so it's definitely it's reaching kids all over um, That's very cool. And so you also, you talk about the role of play a lot, and you wrote an article creating a gender-neutral play space and um, what educators can do to create safe places for children to play in gender-neutral environments. And with all the outside influences of, with media and toys constantly forcing gender stereotypes into our consciousness and children's consciousnesses. Um, can you talk a little about what parents and educators can do to, to counter that um, and how they can create safe spaces for play and exploration in their homes or at school? Yeah, sure. I, I think that, um, I think the way we started off that, you know, gender, the way we think of gender as a social construct, I think it's really important for adults to keep that in mind because when you watch young children play, they don't have a sense of gender. They don't think about gender while they're playing because play for them is really hard work. And that's, you know, as educators, we know that's fine motor skills, that's gross motor skills, it's language development, it's developing social skills, it's creativity, it's imagination. You know, they need to experience role play. There's so much involved in play learning what it means to be a girl or a boy is not an inherent part of play. That, I think, comes from adults. I think that it really depends on how adults are intervening in children's play. Mm -hmm. And often it's the adults who are saying, oh, don't play with that or play with this. Like the teacher giving, in my daughter's class, the teacher gave the girls the dolls and said, here, go over here and play with dolls. And while the boys played with action figures. And when my daughter wanted to play with the action figures, she was told, oh, girls, don't play with those. So I think that it's for, as adults, we have to really check ourselves, you know, every step of the way. What are we teaching? What are we telling the children in our lives? And having a variety of things in a play space, as most daycare, you know, childcare centers, schools, homes, we do, right? We have construction things. We have uh, maybe a play kitchen, you know, there's all kinds of different stations, the role play station, to let kids just be free to play what they want, to use things how they want, to go as far as they can without breaking things, without hurting each other, without hurting themselves, but 
to just use things how they, however they get ideas to do without limiting or restricting or, you know, reprimanding. And I think that that creates a, a really free, safe space for kids to just go wherever the moment takes them. Because often young children are, are actually mimicking what they see. So they see their moms, they see their dads, maybe they have a baby sibling who gets their diapers changed and they want to try to do that too. None of this indicates anything about the child's future. I mean, it's like adults get so panicked, right? Because there's so much homophobia. They get so panicked. If a boy plays with a doll, he's going to be, and maybe he will, maybe he won't. But we also know that gender can be temporary. So if you're going to put such a strong enforcement on, you know, you're a girl, play with all of these pink things, and in a few years, maybe she's going to realize that she's actually a boy in a girl's body. So I think we have to really be aware that we don't want to put such strict definition on the kids in our lives because we don't really know who they're going to grow to be. And that we just want them to focus on their development in terms of, you know, their bodies and their intellect and their imagination and their creativity and their language. But that's really the most important thing that they're doing at the moment. And I think that even extends not just to what they get to play with and how they play, but also the words that we use, like not using he as the default pronoun for animals, for people, for, you know, mm-hmm. but either using they, you know, a gender neutral they or adding she in sometimes maybe the ladybug, you know, could be a she, but not always just putting he as the default and making space for, you know, that there are women and girl, you know, that there's, there are female pronouns and using they and teaching kids they, which is such an important pronoun right now. Mm -hmm. So, And I would also just add on top of everything that you said off is it's not just students learning or sorry, I say students now for everything, but (laughs) not just young children learning about um, themselves, but learning about the world. And how the world perceives them is also a really important part of this development of young children. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I don't think that kids are too young to have conversations with. So, you know, it's, it's fine to talk to children about what they're watching on TV. I mean, we try to do the best, you know, programming possible, but... You know, I don't want to. I don't want to pick on individual shows, but I think that there there are always things that can be improved in children's programming, and so it's worth having a conversation with kids about it. What do they think about it? And not just letting them absorb the messaging that is directed at them, but actually having conversations that make them think about it, so they actually, you know, become critical thinkers and can challenge those messages and not just internalize them and accept them as the way it is. Um, I also think that, I mean, it's like a whole different topic, but I think that this stuff is very directly related to the Me Too movement and how boys are raised from the time they're so little to not hug, you know, kiss, nurture, have a doll, or love their toy or whatever they want to do. I feel like that stuff gets taken away from boys at such an early age, and they're taught to, you know, that they should be rough and tough and have these action figures and you know, all the militarization of boys' toys and all that kind of stuff. And they kind of lose the the ability to express their love and their emotions. It's so much harder for them. And I think that we make it harder for them. And I think it becomes less about accepting, you know, kids learning to express themselves, relate to one another, accept one another, solve problems amongst one another. So in the book, Jamie is Jamie, the adults really don't play a role at all, and that's on purpose. It's to give the kids a chance to figure things out amongst themselves because they're able to. And um, I think that as adults, like, we just want to get so in there. We want to control. We, want, we think we're helping. I think in a lot of ways we kind of prevent kids from going full, you know, to the full extent of their imagination, to the full extent of problem solving that they're able to do. And, you know, I think we need to kind of back off a lot <laughs> and be on the outskirts ready to intervene if you know someone's going to get hurt or you know there's times when we need to help but I really think that we don't um, recognize the role that we play as adults in teaching some of these things that then 
teachers have to unteach, right? Carly has to unteach right. this stuff. Yeah, I was thinking later on, right? a lot as so. you were talking. It's so interesting as a high school teacher when I get kids, you know, in, in their teenage years, and they have already, they have a lifetime of learning about who they should be as a boy or who they should be, and, and, and perhaps even more harmfully, who they should not be, right? There's so much fear um, around not expressing parts of their gender. So when when I see them in my US history class when they're juniors, I think for a lot of them, that is maybe the first time that someone has asked them, what is gender? What does it mean to you to be a boy? Um, right. And it's wonderful to have that conversation with them, but it would be so much more wonderful if they had started that conversation at a much younger age and had been given a, a much bigger space to explore gender and what gender can be. I think we, we tend to think that these are conversations that, that children should not be having until they're in high school or when they take a, if they take a gender studies class in college. Yeah. And it's, by that time, there's just so much learning that has taken place that before you can even get to a place of kind of critically thinking about gender, there's, there's a bunch of unlearning that has to take place. And um, I, I love working with high school kids. I also would love if, if those kids came in with that they weren't shocked every time I, I told them we were going to talk about gender. And you know, I often get very funny responses from students um, almost on every evaluation that students do. There's always a few that say, well, she's a nice teacher, but we don't really learn history or it's not real history um, or it's just that women's stuff. And so kids are really taught to think that gender, sexuality, race, class, that these are separate things from the traditional curriculum, the real curriculum of history. And I think if at a younger age this were just incorporated into their curriculum, thinking critically about gender as a construct, um, that notion wouldn't be so radical for students. Um, in, in, my, in my school, I, I think with a lot of students, I, they kind of have a joke with me. It's our little shtick, you know, that Miss Fox and her, everything's a social construct and gender is a social construct. And, and it's sweet and funny, and, and I will play with them about it. But I think it, it becomes a joke and funny to them because no other teacher, and, and I should take that back, many of, many of my colleagues I know are talking about these things, but, but certainly I, it doesn't seem like at a young age they've ever been introduced to that concept of, of gender being a set of meanings that are contested and change over time. And so for me to introduce that to them seems radical. <laughs> and I always have to tell them, I didn't invent this theory, I'd love to take credit, but other people are also saying this. And um, it, it just seems like there's often a block with them around that so thank yeah. you all so much this is indigo radio we're talking about the construction of gender its consequences and how to um like children's play as a way to also help students move beyond and deconstruct those gender boxes that society has created we're going to go to a quick song break this is ezra Furman. body was made and it's considered a true anthem of loving oneself done by uh, Openly Queer Artist, 2015 single. And part of the lyrics are, your body is yours at the end of the day. Don't let the hateful try to take it away. We want to be free. We want to go our own way. We'll be back. This is Indigo Radio.
Uh, you're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. That was Ezra Furman, um, My Body is Made. We are discussing gender today, the construction, the social implications, the challenges children and young people face, and how we can learn and teach about gender in a way to build a better world. Um, we have in the studio today Carly Fox. Um, a high school teacher at Vermont Academy, and um, Afsane here on the phone from Oaxaca, um, an author and an educator. Um, she wrote the book, Jamie is Jamie. Welcome back, everybody. So one of the things that um, I often start out with in my classes um, is having students talk about this idea of gender boxes, or I don't, I, that's how I start talking about the construction of gender, the social construct. And I have students write up in a box. One box says, um, act like a lady. And the other box says, man up. And I have middle schoolers write, what does that mean inside the box? And then what are the consequences for falling outside of that idea of what it means to act like a lady and man up? And often, um, I find that all of the words outside of the man's box have to do with femininity as an insult. Mm. And so it's really interesting. Um, I wanted us to hear from you all, uh, Afsane and Carly and Lauren as well, who's also an educator. What um, are some of the experience that people have with gen gender constructs? And do all people experience this gender construct in the same way? Yeah, I think that is such an important question that whenever we're talking about gender constructs, um, we always have to think about how gender intersects with other constructs. So uh, race, class, ability, sexuality, nationality, um, you know, we could go on. I, I think we, we tend to assume that we can kind of separate these categories and specifically, you know, thinking about teaching US history, when, we, when I teach about gender, I really want students to understand that there's never just one gender um, construct for all people, that that gender is, has always historically within the United States been, been deeply racialized. Uh, so for example, right now my students are writing an essay about the experiences of enslaved women in the antebellum southern United States. And I have students write this essay to introduce them to the concept of intersectionality, to understand that if we really want to understand the experience of enslaved women, it is not enough to understand how white supremacy operated within slavery, but how slavery was also a system of patriarchy, and that those two systems of oppression reinforced one another, um, and, and that we really can't separate those. And that the constructs around womanhood created, created in the South during this time really had to do with ideas about white, upper middle class womanhood. And there are different ideas, different meanings of black womanhood created during this time by white society. So, you know, we can think of stereotypes like the Mammy uh, stereotype, the Jezebel stereotype. These are constructs created around womanhood, uh, racializing womanhood for black women um, that are very problematic and continue, I think, to influence how our world today sees black women. Um, we can see this in film and media. And so for students to really understand that, that gender, in fact, is, I would say is never actually neutral, right? There's always categories historically, white, um, male, cisgender, um, people who have been privileged have been given privileges. So, so thinking that can be complicated with students, but getting them to think of gender as something that is also 
has a class and has a race, and that, that all of these systems of oppression are operating to keep that hierarchy in place, and I think to also to justify the hierarchy. To, I often draw pyramids in my classes to show students you know, who is on top, who's benefiting from the system, and usually the people on top are a minority. It's very few people, right? If we, if we think about the slave-owning South, it was actually very few white Southerners who were considered part of that planter class, but how are the people um, in other parts of that pyramid, so, so poor whites, how do they benefit and reinforce that system, right, to, to keep it in place? And often it's this idea of how do um, people access supremacy, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, and within gender there's a way to access supremacy if you are a male yeah. and if you fit into what it m means to be a male according to the capitalist society that yeah. it con has constructed these ideas for a profit. You know, gender is not something that, like you said, existed in the same way throughout history. If you contextualize it and um, historicize gender under capitalism, though it has always been about um, creating a profit. And to, if you have uh, males who are going out and working and bringing in the money when profit is the important thing in capitalist society that gender is going to be seen as more important than yeah. the work that's happening in the house. And Becca, you just made me think how important it is, um, and I try to do this in my teaching, that when we're talking about these constructs to contextualize them within capitalism. Um, so, you know, it, it, teaching students that workers, uh, people who don't own the means of production are all exploited under capitalism. And if you're exploited, then how do you look for other systems of power if you don't have access to all the forms of power, there might be, you know, you might have access to white supremacy, you might have class privilege, you might have gender privilege. And so how, even within the system that is exploiting you as a worker, how do those social constructs then benefit you to have power over others? Um, so we can think of kind of like this classic idea of, of, of poor whites reinforcing white supremacy. They don't have class privilege, right? But having white supremacy in a society that is already exploiting you gives you this sense of power. It's, a, it's essentially a myth that you can believe in. Afsane, I know it's always hard on the radio, on the phone to know when to jump in, but feel free at any point to comment on what's being said or if you have other ideas around people's experiences as being similar or different within gender constructs in different points in history. Are yeah, you still there? I, I oh, think there this is, yeah. yeah, no, I'm here. Yeah, I <laughs> know. I think, I think Carly was really explaining things in such a clear way. Um, I tend to focus these days. I'm focusing a little bit more on younger kids, and so it's a it's a different conversation when you're dealing with you know three to three to eight year olds. I would say, but I think that there's still you can still have the conversation to raise awareness around these things in using different language. It's kind of asking them what they think about what they're seeing because it tends to be you know the characters who aren't white are more side characters or even some of the dynamics and some of the shows that they're watching reinforce power structures um i don't know if it's you know kosher to name names of tv shows so i i won't on the radio but you know there there are some that have some very very clearly established power structures in place mm -hmm. and i think you know it's good to get little kids thinking about that is it is that correct is that right is that how it should be and, um, yeah, I, you know, I think I, I want to hear more of what Carly has to say about it. I think she's doing it. I think she's great. <laughs> um, so another question we have to discuss all together um, is around, so around the connection between the increase of people not identifying within a gender binary and the intensification at the same time around gendering and specifically unborn babies. There's a, I think that um, the gender reveal parties and the, the extravagant nature of them um, is, has escalated or has, has become um, even more of a thing. Also, a a way for um, businesses and corporations to make money off of gender. So thinking about the 
that connection, just anyone who wants to, to come in about that. Can I, can I say something yeah. about that? Um, I think, I think that's a really, I think it's a really important question. I think it's a big question. Um, and I, to me, the first thing that really, um, comes to mind is the backlash against the women's movement mm-hmm. and the backlash against, you know, the Stonewall, the gay liberation yeah. movement, um, the sixties and seventies. And I think that like, we think about 1975 free to be you free to be you and me comes out and that is you know saying that kids need um to listen to something that's going to completely dismantle gender stereotypes and we're going to just completely do away with girls are like this and boys are like this and it's this really revolutionary incredible thing that is created for kids there's no equivalent of it in the 80s there's no equivalent of it in the 90s Instead, what we get is a backlash against the women's movement. We get um, a huge emphasis placed on pink packaging for girls' toys, a resurgence of new princesses that girls are watching, um, just very gendered. The toy section is incredibly gendered. Thank you, Target, for not (laughs) saying boys and girls, but the packaging does it. The packaging speaks for itself. And a limitation on what girls are supposed to be playing with and wearing and the the you know kids clothing departments you don't have gender neutral colors they're very gendered and i i see this as completely linked to the backlash against the women's movement and how much abortion rights have been restricted how much women's health care has been restricted in the u.s and i i think it all goes part and parcel together mm-hmm. and um i think part of that then creates greater divide between girls and boys which you don't see it as much in the 70s i'm not saying it wasn't there but there was like kids were wearing really weird wacky clothes in the 70s and it wasn't always so gender specific you know as it is as it is today um and i think that the gender reveal stuff comes from that i think it's a product Mm -hmm. of that that like girls pink boys blue and I, I think the extravagance of these um, gender reveal parties, I think it's kind of weird, and I definitely am interested to know what other people think about it. I think it's kind of oh, a strange thing, the extent to which people are going to reveal the gender, especially like starting fires and right. things like that. But, um, but I, I think it also has to do with how difficult life is for most people in the U.S. right now and how little control people have over their lives. And so this is something to celebrate and be creative yeah. around and make a big deal out of. And there's, you know, it's times are kind of tough and I don't think there's as things, as many things to celebrate right now. But I also think it's also seen as like a digging in and confirmation yeah. of these gender divisions mm-hmm. and these stereotypes. Yeah, absolutely. So. And, I, and I think this is, is a common theme throughout history that when you're living in a moment of, of really extreme vulnerability. I mean, I mean, I think climate change is perhaps another part of this conversation um, that that as a nation, we are, are, I think, in deep, deep denial of that, right? Um, so you have a very unstable, unstable vulnerable moment. Um, and you also have various social movements, you know, a continuation of what occurred in the 60s and 70s that, that is similar and different. Um, and I think you have a whole new generation of young people thinking about gender in different ways so so i think about just you know 10 years ago when i was in high school i'm not sure i had ever heard the the term trans i certainly didn't know what using they as a singular pronoun meant um you know all of these things that just in that that 10 years has changed so much so my students are exposed to so many more things that i never was so you have these two you know in increasing social movements um activism but also this really unstable time and i think in moments like that in history, people really want to find anything to hold on to. And so gender becomes something that if we can just make it stable and we can just put this really strong box around it to believe in and say, these are women and these are men and that's not gonna change, that gives people some sense of grounding when their world feels like it's coming apart in a lot of other ways. Um, and so I think that's why you see the rise in these strange, I always, I wish I could be invited to one of these. I just don't have friends who have gender reveal parties, but I think they're fascinating. Um, and I also think this is, you know, obviously coupled with 
we've just had increases in, in technology. So um, with ultrasound technology prior to this, you don't, you don't have the ability to assign um, the sex or to know the sex before. Um, so, so you see it in these gender reveal parties, what the current administration is doing, things like the, the trans, uh, transgender ban. You know, all of these things that I think are, are very violent reactions to a dominant group uh, losing power, or at least having that power questioned. Yeah, and then also, like you said, the more they dig their heels in, right, around gender, the more people don't fit into those yeah. rigid, yeah. narrow definitions. Yeah. And then you get fluid, gender fluidity, gender neutral, just a rejection of that. Yeah. And then I just think in terms of what what is human nature, right, is girls don't automatically want dolls, right? So as much as we can say, <laughs> girls should wear pink and dresses and pretty things, that doesn't mean that every girl is actually going to like that. And so, you know, I, I just it brought to mind... Um, my kid was when she was a toddler. She was given a baby doll that cries. Right, you you squeeze it and it does like a little cry. She was like one, and she used her fingers to dig open the doll's body and take out that little voice box. Yay! <laughs> and you know, we joked like, "Oh, she performed open heart surgery yeah. at the age of, age of one." You know, it was this big joke. But I shared that story in a third grade classroom in the Bronx in New York City um, after reading them Jamie's Jamie, and every girl raised her hand and told a creepy doll story <laughs> that a creepy doll they love given that their sister had yeah. like every single one had a creepy doll and it's like they're like i don't want it in my room but my yeah. aunt gave it to me you know and it's like you know it goes back to of course it's societal right and we talked about the economic benefits but like you know there's a gender reveal party okay it's going to be a boy and then immediately all of those adults go and buy what they think a boy should have right or what they think a girl should have. And so this child comes into the world surrounded by these things that are dictating what they're supposed to be interested in and limiting that. And there's, it's such a disservice to children, right? And then it becomes not just a disservice by high school age, but then you get sexual harassment, you get homophobia, you get bullying, you get teenage suicide, you get, you get all of these really Mm -hmm. severe, intense consequences to there not being room for people to just be who they are. It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and something new, and, you know, the creativity that exists within human beings and the beauty that comes along with that, and there's just no room given to that. So, you know, maybe there should be a, a non-gender reveal part, you know, a third gender <laughs> reveal part. I don't know. Like, maybe that could be subverted and have a different color, you know, like the yellow reveal party. I don't know. A human but. reveal party. <laughs> yeah. And I and I do think that often when you when we talk about the harmful um the ways in which gender construction is harmful, we often talk about female socialization um as women not feeling good enough. And I think what's interesting to learn and you see this a lot in adolescent boys, is that this construction of gender is really harmful to males as well because they're taught to reject anything feminine and prove their masculinity through dominance, taking control and, and using violence to solve their problems. And that the idea of male success is economic success and sexual conquest and violence and how much that's playing out in our society today um, in and of itself is a reason to, get rid of these gender, this gender construction. Um, so we're going to do a quick um, PSA and, and come back to, to end, end the show. Um, so we will be right back. Today's programming on WVEW is underwritten in part by Everyone's Books. Located in downtown Brattleboro at 25 Elliott Street, Everyone's Books is a family-owned, independent bookstore that has been serving the community for over 30 years. They specialize in books about social change, the environment, politics, and travel, and offer a huge range of children's books. You can reach them by phone at 802-254-8160 or online via their website at everyonesbks.com. WVEW thanks Everyone's Books for their support of this station.
Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. And we've been talking with Carly and Afsane looking at the construction of gender. And um, I'd really like to end our show today with hearing from you all, you know, what can be done. And I'm wondering, you know, with all within the struggle of um, pushing through and deconstructing these gender boxes, can we envision a world in which gender does not play a role? And what would that look like? It, it is hard for me to imagine a world in which there is no gender or gender doesn't play some type of role. Um, and I don't necessarily think that, that gender itself is the problem, that if we did away with gender and we just were all these gender neutral people walking around, that that would solve oppression necessarily. And I, and I think for a lot of people that, that gender can be a, for all of us, gender can be something that is playful and wonderful and creative and a way to express um, our erotic self. Um, it is the policing, the violent policing around, around gender that it is a spectrum of you know telling boys to man up to to actually killing people because they haven't performed gender in the way that we think is socially acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. And and that there's a long history of that in the United States. It's it's, it's legal. It's it's physical violence um, that I don't think everyone is totally aware of that gender is actually something that that we kill over. So I think allowing gender to be something that can can have space and can be another form of expressing ourselves could be really beautiful. Um, there's a quote I love by Leslie Feinberg, and they say that gender is the poetry that um, each of us makes out of the language we are given. And so thinking of gender as as poetry, as art, to me is a much more inspiring way at, at moving away from a, a punitive system of gender, because that's really the one we have, we have now. Um, can you remind me of the first part of your question? <laughs> Just uh, within the struggle to break down the gender binaries, if we can imagine. Yeah. Oh, I, I, what I was thinking, you were, you were saying things we can do. Um, mm-hmm. For me, working with young people, and I think most of us in some form or another work with young people, whether it's through parenting, teaching, um, at some point we come into contact with young people in our lives. And so often we think, let's just teach kids to not bully and let's teach kids to do it better. And and what I'm more interested in right now is, is as the adults from whom children are emulating our behavior, right, is unthinking the ways that we have internalized all of these systems of white supremacy, of homophobia, of classism. Um, I, I was driving the other day with my partner and we drove by a child and I immediately said, what a cute little boy. And my partner said, how do you know that's a boy? <laughs> and you know, I am someone who I, you know, I consider myself somewhat versed in this, and I, and I teach about it. And I didn't even think in that moment. I just, in my mind, I saw things that my mind gendered as male, and so immediately it was a cute little boy. And so I think for all of us, you know, whether or not we're gender studies professors um, or people who haven't thought much about gender, really unpacking all of the stories and messages we have learned around what it means to be a man and woman in the world, and that is ongoing work. It's not just, you know, getting a graduate degree in this field um, or taking a class. It's, it's every day rethinking the stories we tell ourselves about our bodies and other people's bodies. Absolutely. And I think um, the, I, I love Asane thinking about play um, because it's, it's in so much of everyday moments where a lot of the deep learning can happen in regards to gender, in regards to a lot of hard conversations, because they come, they are there, and they, um, this, you know, is people's reality, lived reality. Um, so I think it's a lot of um, taking every moment possible to. Um, facilitate and help um, kids to see themselves connected to each other and um, have have space to to be who who they are Uh, yeah I would just add like if we want to see different 
concepts of gender and different ways of relating to one another, I think it goes back to what Carly was saying. We would have to dismantle the economic and power structures that exist, right? Like when a country is involved in endless wars Mm -hmm. and a project of like empire building, you're going to have the militarization and that violence at home. And it's going to be taken out on the more vulnerable sections of society, whose society deems and kind of sets up to be more vulnerable, right? So I think that there's, it's like there's so much that has to be done to change that. But I think then we get down to what can we do? And that's what um, people have been bringing up. And I think it starts with like young children, like not imposing these gender stereotypes on them, making space for them to be who they are. And really, most importantly, making every kid feel like who they are is good enough and feeling confident in themselves. So whatever they think they want to do or they need to do is great and is fine and should be celebrated. And I think that's like if every kid could feel like that, then they would be able to play with whatever and try whatever and say whatever. And, you know, the adults are there to kind of guide that. But we have to make every kid feel like whatever, you know, that they are good enough and be confident in who they are. And that I feel like that's like the main, main, main thing about Jamie is Jamie is like, just be Jamie, just be, be yourself. And that's great. And that's more than enough. And we don't want to change you. Absolutely. And then, and then we can have space for every kid to exist and be present and be celebrated. I'm just thinking for people who, who create things, who write books, we need, we need more art. We need more literature. Um, that is like Jamie is like Jamie is Jamie. Hmm. And speaking of that, get in touch with Indigo Radio if you'd like Afsane to do a Skype conversation with classes or with community groups to talk about the book Jamie is Jamie. I just um, would like to end the show Indigo Radio. We've been talking about gender today and the construction and social implications. And Afsane, really connecting to what you were saying, if we let kids kind of take the lead, how much better the world would be not only in breaking down the gender boxes, but children really know what true kindness is, what true mm-hmm. caring about one another means. And so I'd like to take that with us for everyone in the studio and everyone who's listening today to, for us to be learning more from children and how they interact with one another and take a step back. <laughs> so thank you all so much. We have, we've had Afsane Moridian and Carly Fox on the radio with us, and this is Beck and Lauren. We're going out with a quick song. A quick song. This is King Princess. It's called 1950. Um, It's a a young queer artist in New York City who's about 20 years old. And um, Actually, we don't have time for a song because that is the end of our show. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye.